to see you today, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump in with some text in last week. So enjoy your gifts and let me knock some of these out. Someone asked, if Paul was alive today, what denomination would he most closely identify with? Lutheran, Calvin, Anglican? That's easy, Lutheran. Next question. <laughs> nah, it's, uh, you know, I, what, what I think Paul would pull is like a total First Corinthians. I think Paul would identify with all of them in one way or another, because the beauty of different denominations and faith traditions is they all emphasize and accent something that others tend to minimize. And, and, and together, I think we somehow get the total corpus of, of what the way of God is all about. But, you know, I think Paul would come to all of them, and, and you know, you put non-denom and independence up there as well and go, uh, was Luther, were you baptized into Luther? Was, was Calvin crucified for you? Um, did King Henry VIII save your soul, or you can go on and on. I, I think he would identify at some level with all, but go, at some point, we are not Lutheran, Calvin, Anglican, Baptist, non-denominational, or whatever. We're Christian. We're followers of Christ. And I think that's what he'd say. Um, how much faith is enough for salvation? That's a good one. You ever wrestle with that? You ever questioned it in your own heart? I think you're asking the wrong question. Because your salvation is not in response to somehow this, this, this volume or quantity of faith that you conjure. As though God is sitting here with like a measuring cup going, we need a certain volume of faith to qualify. Jesus saves you, not your faith. So I encourage you, if you're wrestling with some sense of doubt over your faith, rest in what Jesus did for you and not in the quality or volume of your faith. Does that make sense? Here was another. Someone asked this. Are there any examples of cultures or people groups who have had a revelation of Christ purely through experiencing his creation without man's direct teaching? Last week we were talking about the story of creation. It's one of four key themes or storylines that, that, that Paul cuts into the stream of it is, is, is he analyzes and wrestles with the Bible. And we made the point that the creation reveals God. Uh, Paul says this himself in Genesis 1. And so I'm imagining that's what this is sparked from. But no, the, uh, not that I'm aware of regarding the revelation of Christ specifically. And in fact, the New Testament will even seem to take pains to say that this, this specific revelation of Christ himself is something more revealed and, and needing to be passed on than it is something that is apparent by looking at stars or spending time with trees or something like that. When we talk about creation revealing God's presence, it is the general sense that there is a God who is, is good and is powerful and, and, and who, who has values of right and wrong that we all know. If you're really interested in analyzing this on, 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 on a comparative level between faith traditions, philosophies, world religions, etc., check out this little book by C.S. Lewis called Abolition of Man. And look in the appendix of it. And what he does is he compares general revelation of good and evil, right and wrong, ideas about God among all different kinds of world religions. Not Christ, but at the general sense, I think you'll find it fascinating. Finally, and I'd like to spend a little more time on this. I am weary, but I love Jesus. 
How do I get that spark back at a commercialized Christmas? As I was reading this one, several things struck me. And so let me walk you through several aspects of this. One, have you in your life yet learned the word no? (laughs) Reading this in your opening line, I am weary. I believe you. And this world will demand more of you than you can ever give. And this season in particular seems to heighten that. You do not need to be a victim to what everyone tells you you need to do this season. Have you yet learned the word no? And if you haven't, may I highly encourage you to develop it. Number two, are you practicing Sabbath? Are you practicing a a, a rhythm of pause, rest, and time away from the rat race, from work, from the to-do list and the agendas of your life. Because if you are not, you will be weary forever. God knew what he was doing when he asked his people to stop, rest, and enjoy his creation and each other. And if you're not doing that, start doing it today. Start doing it today. Three, Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you engaging in those small but regular and daily practices of quiet time with him, talking to him, reading the Christmas story out of Matthew or Luke or or daily reading plans like we do? Are you meditating on his word like our memory things do? Are are you coming to ancient Christmas? There's a host of things that, that this church and so many churches offer. Are you... Are you soaking in those or are you relegating everything to the gift buying, the decorating, the parting, and the the commercialization aspects? If not, begin. Four, if this is something that isn't just kind of like, you know, just right now, but if this is something long-term, something you struggle with a lot, something that maybe even goes out of Christmas season or comes up again and again every Christmas season. May I highly suggest, go talk to someone about it. Go talk to a counselor. Go talk to a pastor. There might be some deeper-seated things going on that just need to be worked out. As someone who has gone through years of counseling himself, I can tell you it is the best thing I've ever done. I think it might be the same for you. Finally, stop chasing the spark. So many people get so obsessed with the the feeling or the spark of Christmas that it becomes an end in itself rather than a means. Are you with me? Christmas is about standing in awe of Jesus. It's about worshiping Jesus It's about serving Jesus. It's not about a feeling or a spark. So fundamentally, if the spark is there or not, who cares? Stop obsessing over it. Stop worrying about it. Just worship Jesus. 
Just come and worship him, whether it's coming out of a place of deep emotional reserves or if it's coming out of something that feels perfunctory. It doesn't matter. He's worthy of it. Worship him and leave the spark to itself, and I think you'll realize it ironically comes much more naturally in that way. So fantastic questions, guys, and I encourage you to keep texting them. Today, we continue with the story of Paul. Last week, we looked at the story of creation. This week, we move to the second chapter, if you will, or the second theme that runs through the Bible that, that, that Paul sees himself as a part of, that Paul sees you and me as a part of. And last week, we, we, we jumped into this with this amazing line out of the Christmas story, where the angels came to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and they were terrified, and the angels said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And here's the question I brought up last week. Savior of what? A Savior will be born to you. Great. Savior of what? And how that main storyline of the Bible is that Jesus is not just the Savior of humanity, but the Savior of all creation. Today, I want to ask a different question. A savior how? We know what he's a savior of, but a savior how? And like last week, don't be too quick to jump to the, to the answer that you already have in your mind. We'll save on the cross, of course, right? And yet for Paul, there's something more fundamental than that. Something that the cross is a, a pinnacle of rather than the totality of. Because the way that God comes about saving humanity is through humanity. The biblical storyline is that the way God saves this world is through humanity. And at some fundamental level, this is what the Christmas story is about. Now, I need to show you this, this passage by Paul. How Paul is thinking about this and piecing this together, okay? It comes from Romans 5. Here's what he says. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, a question. Do you ever just want to slap Paul around? Did you like glaze over on that after like one sentence? We've said it before, we'll say it again. Paul swims at the deep end of the pool. And there are so many times where he has these utterly profound statements, but I'm like, dude, just talk to me like I'm four, okay? What we're going to do today is try to unpack what is Paul getting here in this story of humanity? What is humanity about? What is God trying to do through humanity? And why is that so significant for what the Christmas story is showing? Make sense? Now, we have to start with the beginning, the premise, the, the foundation of how God has begun this story of humanity. Do you see this equation? I am going to show you a Bible verse that is as, as basic and important as this equation. You can't get far without knowing how to do that, right? 
This passage that I'm going to show you is just as important for understanding the storyline of the Bible. It's been called a back alley passage, which means if some like theological thug is trying to mug you in a back alley and you have to prove your worth, this is one of the passages that'll get you out, all right? It's weird, but whatever. Um, it is that central, all right? And it is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God has just created everything over these six days. And at the pinnacle, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Embedded within this text is the purpose and reason for humanity. You ever wonder what your life purpose is? Yeah, God's got an answer for you, all right? It's right there. It is that central to the biblical storyline of what God is trying to do and what we're supposed to be about. Let's unpack it a little bit. Really kind of three or four things embedded in there, and I golded them up for you. First, God made humanity in his image, both male and female, that somehow you are the representation of God. God might show himself through his creation, but it pales in comparison to how God reveals himself in you. You are the image of God. You're God's idol. What's an idol after all? It's a physical representation of a spiritual reality, right? That is you. And God blessed them. God was in this amazing, intimate, wonderful, good relationship with them. And God takes these, these images that he's made in his image and not only blesses them, but he says, be fruitful, increase, fill the earth. Bring my image to every last corner of this planet. Bring my presence, my goodness, my blessing, my rule. Extend it out because I am going to work my blessing, goodness, and rule through you. So many times we think that God just does this directly, circumventing the system, but God has built you as a cog in the machine, part of the system of how he is looking to bring his goodness and blessing to the world. That is the purpose of humanity. And rule it. Rule it in God's stead. Rule it on behalf of him bringing his order, his justice his righteousness, all the stuff that, that God's rule would encapsulate, bring it. That is what God sets up humanity to do. Humanity rebels. Instead of seeking to be the image of God, they seek to become like God themselves. 
Instead of seeking to spread God's blessing, they get more interested in grabbing the blessing for themselves. Instead of seeking to spread God's rule throughout the earth, they want to be in control, in charge. Things done their way. And the entire storyline of the Bible is that instead of God's image bringing his goodness and blessing out, instead what they bring is curse, suffering, misrule, and death. Here's how Genesis will sum it up. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. If God is the giver of life, and humanity was supposed to bring forth life, ultimately what humanity did instead is bring creation nothing but curse, suffering, and death. This is what Paul's getting at when he writes this. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. This is the story and the legacy of humanity. And this is important because this is what Christmas is about. Because what Christmas is about is God becoming a human. It's about God becoming a human to do the very thing that humanity not only failed to do, but is incapable of doing. I mean, think about it. Why, like, why? You ever wanted to ask God this? Like, why bother? Like, like, why go through this whole thing? Why, why be born? Why, why become human? Why, why live like a human and feel like a human? Why do all this? Why don't you just fix it from heaven directly? You know what I mean? And the reason why is this. Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. And God didn't set it up that way. He set it up to be done through humanity. Humanity, you're my image. Humanity, you're my carriers of blessing. Humanity, you are the ones to bring my rule. God does not circumvent his own systems. He doesn't throw his hands up and go, oh, that didn't work, so, well, no one will care if we just walk away from that plan. God is faithful to his purposes. God is faithful to his plan, which means that when God says something, He'll find a way to make it happen. You can trust him. And this is precisely why Christmas is so important, because it is God becoming human to be faithful to the call of humanity to bring about what God always intended humanity to do. And this is why it like, just kind of like bounces off the page of the Bible, all over the place. Why does it stress his humanity so much? Just look at some of these.
It's why Paul finally even writes this. If sin came through a man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Death through a man, life through a man. Curse and blessing. And you notice how he describes Jesus in this instance? The man, Jesus Christ. The story of humanity that is the story of Jesus, is that God came down to reestablish and fix and to start bringing about his presence, goodness, blessing, and life. Through the very people like us, he created to bring it, to do it on our behalf. And that means that the story is not over. The story's not over because who will reign in life? You will. You will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Your Genesis 1 mandate has been restored. Be God's image. Spread his blessing. Rule his creation because what Jesus has done to make it happen through humanity again. That's why at FOF we, we, we throw around ideas and lines like this. Just kind of went digging in some of our like governing documents and I love this one. We don't see outreach as one component. We see it as every. We believe the church is God's agent for bringing his restoration to a broken world. Why? Because Genesis 1 says we've got a job to do. His call is not for us alone, and, and this church better exist for something bigger than itself. Why? Because there's a creation out there that God loves. As each of us are called to be disciples, so each of us are called to make disciples. Why? Because humanity can only truly be humanity when they root themselves in Christ alone. And that's what Christmas is about. It's Paul's story. The second big storyline he operates in to bring forward who Jesus is, what he's done, and now what this story means for you. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come forward. And I, I want to invite you to rise. And, and I want to engage together in this, this, Lent, uh, this Advent practice, excuse me, of reflection and repentance and preparation before God. And so I invite you to take a few moments to come to God, to pray, to confess whatever sins you've brought, and to ask yourself this question. In what ways have you marred God's image in this world?
in what ways have you brought curse more than blessing, death more than life? In what ways have you sought to grab the power for yourself instead of carrying his rule forward? And just take some time to get honest about that. In these next moments, I just invite you to bring it to Jesus, the God made man. you'd pray this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.